Good morning. It's a blessing to be together in this way again and to look out over the flock of God, the sheep of his pasture. I trust you are walking in the beauty of God's blessing upon your life each day, not just on Sundays, but that the Lord is showing his blessing to you each day. You know, I think we're living in a time when it's not a time for distraction from the things of God. As we sang in that song, what joy or delight if we could go without dying. I think we're fast approaching that generation, that time, and that people who will experience that. Who will go without dying? Because I believe our redemption draweth nigh. And it seems like in our world today, there's a lot of distractions. Um, if it's not distractions, it's, it's problems, it's troubles. Coming against the people of God, it's sadness, sickness, death, and loss. And God is gracious. I believe if we avail ourselves of his provision and speak and declare his grace upon the situations in life that we face that, that would come against us in so many ways. But I was reminded of the thing of, of being distracted just this last week as I was driving. And you know how it is, you or working with electronics or other things. And I believe I was trying to set my GPS to, to know where I was going. And I kept my eyes on the road, but it was kind of a back and forth thing. And I realized later that I was seeing the road, but I really wasn't aware of what I was seeing because I was more focused on setting that instrument as I was driving than I was the road, even though I was seeing the road. And it made me think that our lives, our spiritual lives can be like, we know we're supposed to look at the road. We're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus, on God, on his word. And then we realize that we are being distracted by the things in life that come into our experience. And even though we were going through the motions, um, if some little thing had happened at the right time, I, I probably wouldn't have seen it, even though if someone was observing my driving from a distance, they, would, they wouldn't have thought anything was, was out of place. So I'm just saying that to, to make us aware of the times we are living in, and the devil would certainly enjoy getting us off track and taking our eyes off the goal and our purpose in life. I had to think it is a privilege to speak the word of God this morning, to teach from the word of God. I don't know of any other subject that is more worthy of our, of our attention. In Acts 4.20, 
Peter and John said this, for we cannot but speak the things that we have heard and seen. What are you hearing and seeing today? What is God saying to us today? You know, when we go on a trip or, or an adventure of some sort, and we come back from that, we speak of all the things that took place and the, the highlights, the things that we enjoyed. Is it the same in our Christian walk? I understand that, you know, in the, in the early church, in the Corinthian church, there was a, such an eagerness and a, um, enthusiasm of people wanting to, to speak in that setting, in their, in their assemblies, that, that the, the apostle Paul brought instruction to that situation. And he said, he said, you know, if any man speak, uh, let it be by two or by three at the most. And maybe we have that problem in our Sunday schools, but, you know, I just have to think of that in sharing here this morning. You know, I have the privilege of, of staying here and saying what I think and what I've seen, and perhaps you do too. And if not, let God um, give us that song and that bubbling up in our spirits that we need for our day and time simply to be a witness of his goodness in our lives. There's a song we sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Does your heart need tuning? This morning I had to think of that. You know, when... when um, Fellows get together sometimes. I've been in this setting where we meet together and bring our instruments and play music. Well, the first thing you usually see in, in that kind of thing is people will sit around and they'll tune their instruments so it sounds better. There's a lot of tuning that goes on, and, and by the time that happens, it's like, okay, I hope that was worth it because um, I want to hear more than just that sound. I want to hear the music that is meant to be produced by that. So I hope the Lord is bringing music into your life and that we are tuned into God's frequency. There's a, another phenomenon I had to think with stringed instruments with, with a, uh, when you have two strings on an instrument and you set them to the same pitch. Now normally your strings on an instrument are, are separate pitches, different pitches, but there's a phenomena in that as, as you tune one string to the frequency of a second string, that second string will begin to vibrate on its own accord. And I had to think of that, um, there's a lesson there I believe in, in tuning our hearts to God, tuning into his frequency learning to know the ways of God. In Psalms 103.7 it says, God made known his ways to Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. You can see in the Old Testament there was a, a distinction that God made between Moses and 
the general congregation of Israel. He made his ways known to, to Moses, his acts. Are we content just to see the acts of God or would we also enjoy knowing the ways of God? As did Moses, it seems like he had a little more of a, of a handle on what God was saying. If you turn in your Bibles to Numbers 12, you may read verses 5 through 9. Numbers 12, 5 through 9. It says, The Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you. I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My Moses, my servant Moses, is not so who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. <clears throat> you know, it seems like there was a contrast, a stark contrast there. But, you know, in our New Testament times, I think the truth is that the veil of the temple has been rent in twain, supernaturally. And God wants to reveal himself to all who would seek and desire him in that way. To know the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Hebrews 1, verse 1 speaks plainly that it was God who in sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son let's turn to Hebrews 1 and we'll read a few more verses Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. The name of God, the name of Jesus. It's an excellent thing. For the message this morning, I thought to share a little bit about who we are. The title of the message is, How Do You Identify? Who are we? In our world today, we have an identity crisis on our hands. Instead of how do you do, it's how do you identify. 
and I'm not really here to talk a lot about what's going on in the world with all that scenarios. In fact, the Bible would teach us that it's a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. And I think a lot of that's not even so much in secret anymore. It's very openly. It's still a shame to speak of those things. Except that we do need to declare and proclaim the word of God. The world has an identity crisis, and it's not just a gender thing. But it all stems from a rejection of what God has declared. I suppose a lot of those, a lot of the deviancies we see, the world would put under the category of, of enlightenment and discovery but it's not a discovery it's simply a rejection of what God has said what has God said by faith we believe that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear the creation that God made man in his own image and in his own likeness, male and female created he them. From the dust of the ground, we don't have much to brag about. But most importantly, it says God breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul that was not something he offered to the animals. There's a distinction in that regard between the animals and mankind. They are alive, but they have not been given the aspect of the living soul breathed upon them. Job 33.4 says, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. If you, re if you reject any of what God has said or begin to question it, you open yourselves up to all manner of deception and deviancies. And I think this can happen sometimes in smaller ways, harm, seemingly harmless ways, where we begin to lose our identity. Um, we begin to stray from what God has given to us or shown us to be. In his word, God tells us who we were. He tells us who we are and who we will be. He establishes our identity. Even from the foundation of the world, think about, he said that man would fall and that was going to be part of the experience even from that foundation of the world <clears throat> there's much that takes place 
in our world in which men try to identify a certain way or, or fit into a category um, by pursuing a certain identity to appear in a certain way, whether it's the way they dress, um, so much of the appearance of man now in today's world we, we wonder at. Seems like an increasing diversity of being bespeckled one way or the other on our physical bodies. But it's all about identifying a certain way and putting yourself into a certain class of existence. You can learn a lot about a person in a very short time simply by observing the things that make them excited and get them um, get them talking. The things they place in the forefront of their, say, their public profile, so to speak. In First Kings chapter one, verse five, there was a man, Adonijah. He was the fourth son of David. And in a time when, when David was at a low, nearing the end of his life, Adonijah, he, he just ups and says, I will be king. I will be king. He identifies as a king and he goes about and makes this his efforts. When he was not given that authority, But actually, he got, he got the priest and Joab both agreed with him, okay, and they supported him in that. He took on himself an identity of, of self-promotion and, and going down that road. How do we seek to identify? How do we desire that we are seen in this world in the things we do you know I've noticed where if somebody's experienced a, a loss whether you know a distressing time and you hear them describe that as, as going through that and trying to find themselves maybe you've heard somebody say that I'm trying to find myself And um, they have to sort through that. But, you know, the safest way to, to do that, I believe, is to hear what God has to say about us. And not just what God has to say about us, but what God says about himself. It's often that if, if we see God for what he says, and we look and our gaze is on him, then we begin to see ourselves in, in a more proper way. God says, I am the Lord your God. Be still and know that I am God. One of my favorite verses, Amos 4.13, concerning the proclamation God has given to himself. And there are many verses like this, but this one has stood out to me over the years. 
For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought and maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. You think about the grandeur of that. The thought that that is trying to communicate the greatness of God, the dignity of God, his all-seeing eye upon his creation and upon our affairs. You know, we do live in a fallen world. There's much um, difficulty. It's a world in which Satan has rightfully claimed a certain degree of being prince of the power of the air. Through the fall of man. And I believe it through that he obtained a certain amount of authority. But God is still on the throne and, and the final chapter of all this is, has not been written yet. I think of, of the sorrow in the case of Rachel weeping for her children. They would not be comforted because they are not. Talks about that in Matthew 2.18. And in, in the book of Jeremiah, we have the original prophecy. Jeremiah 31, 15 through 17. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Refusing to be comforted, maybe we've met people like that. And you can't really fault them. You do the best you can. But the, the verses following that stood out to me because we don't usually read beyond that. Verse 16 says, Thus saith the Lord, Refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. How can you be so callous in such a horrible event that the Lord would say, thee, do not weep, refrain thine eyes from tears? And I don't think it's that the Lord is being callous. He's not hearing our cry. The Bible would teach us to weep with those that weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. But I believe the takeaway from that, at least for me, is that as people of God, we do not live in defeat. We do not identify as being found in crisis. We, we go through those seasons of lamentations and so on, but that is not where we find our identity. Psalms 30 verse 5 says, His anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Is that the God you serve? Is that the promises that we cling to? As righteous people of God, I believe that those who are in Christ, those who have made it their choice, 
to find themselves under the, the blood of Jesus and the rock of their salvation. That is their true identity. So much of our life, it seems like, goes through this thing of, of sowing in weakness and being raised in power. Walking in the resurrection power are the things we're sowing in life. Is that the harvest that is going to yield that which is beautiful? The choices we make. You know, when it comes to who we are and our identity in this world, think of all the work that the world goes to to identify a person and to establish who you are, whether it's through fingerprinting, through facial recognition, and now I think they even have a thing called iris scanning where they scan your eyes, they can get information, all these different ways. The world wants to know who you are. But then you have, in the midst of that, you have a, a big problem with identity theft and fake ID and people wanting to steal your identity and take advantage of someone else's identity. And this re results in a lot of scams, imposters. There's no end to the scam business in this world. It's a multi-billion dollar business in our world. I, I read that in, um, just in the year 2021, there were, there was $30 billion in phone scams alone in one year. You know, we think of people stealing the traditional way uh, in secret under cover of darkness and they go and, and take advantage that way. But now it's almost like there's much of that kind of thing done in plain sight and it's happening to people they aren't even aware of it. And even at the fall of man, you, you think about um, the serpent. He presented himself, I believe, in, in a, uh, as a false identity in a way that, that he was deceitful. It was a false presence. <laughs> in Revelation 12, 9, it, it describes the old serpent as a deceiver of the whole world. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14, it says, For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. One version says masquerading as, uh, as a good guy. <laughs> pretending to be the good guy. Pretending to be on your side. But it gets worse than that because Satan not only wants to uh, operate under false identity, but he wants to steal... Your identity, I believe, if you're in Christ, he wants to defeat that work. He wants to diminish your authority and your standing before God and before the natural world. 
Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we are not ignorant of his devices, but he describes Satan in that verse as wanting to take advantage of us. Does that happen in our world today and in our spiritual experiences and maybe even in our natural physical experiences? <clears throat> The thief cometh to steal, kill, and destroy. You know, there's a, uh, there was a story I heard about a man that discovered that he could enter a lot of places um, just by carrying a ladder. And so he, he started to try this out and, and got more mold and just began to document how you could enter a lot of say, uh, restricted areas just by carrying a ladder because he presented himself in that way as, as a, a worker, as someone who had legitimate place. Can you imagine in heaven no need for, for locks? No need for passwords? Every lock you see in this world, it's a, it's a testimony to a fallen world. Every key, every code or pin number that, you know, it stands as a silent testimony that the whole world lieth in wickedness. And that's not, I'm not trying to paint a, a real gloomy picture of the world because Jesus said, I have the keys of death and hell. And I believe in a symbolic way he was saying, I have the keys of death and hell that Satan had access to, but in his authority and in his work of grace, destroying the works of the devil, he took those keys. What is your authority? What is your identity this morning? I had to think of the story of Jonah. And Jonah, we know, ran away from God. He entered the ship, and the ship encountered this uh, life-threatening storm. And the men cast lots, said the mariners cast these lots. It's surprisingly, the lot fell on Jonah. I'm not sure how that, you know, ungodly men casting lots, how that became a work of precision. But it fell on Jonah, and these men came and said, you know, who are you? Where do you come from? What is your occupation? What is your country? And Jonah told them who he was. He did not hide who he was. And the verse following that says the men were exceedingly afraid. Now, I'm not sure what they were afraid of. But one of the things Jonah told them was that he was a Hebrew. And I've often wondered if that was the reason, if they knew the God of the Hebrews. Jonah said, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who hath made the sea and the dry land. Did they know the true God, the creator God? But Jonah did not hide his identity. Jesus did not hide his identity in John 18.6. When a company of men led by Judas came to arrest Jesus, 
Jesus went forth unto them and said, Who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And they fell backward. So they fell to the ground. They were exposed. <laughs> they were put into a vulnerable situation. Now, I guess at some point they got back up. But is there a lesson in that? And I don't know that there is except to say that I believe there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the presence of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, as we identify and we walk in that power and authority. Many of us as young people growing up, we would leave to go to leave our houses and our parents would say, remember who you are. Remember who you are. What, what did that mean? But I think it, it meant to keep in mind the things you've been taught. Keep in mind your heritage. Keep your honor intact. Your values, the things you've been taught. Let us not disdain our heritage. In fact, there was a study showing that this was a secular study. It didn't have anything to do with Christianity. But it brought out the, the value of teaching your children um, their roots, their lineage, even by visiting a cemetery and considering their parents and their grandparents not in the spirit of you know we're big stuff we came from this line of people but more in the sense that we we belong we are a part of a bigger picture um, it helps to counter the unrealistic social media culture that they are exposed to and it, and it helps them the article seemed to indicate that it would help our children gain a more rounded view of themselves and maybe even their uh, our tendencies, our traits that were handed down to us from our ancestors that we um, that we need to uh, work against. But what are some of the things that define us as Christians? In a spiritual sense, we are God's offspring. Second Peter 1, 4 says, we are partakers of a divine nature. Are we tapping into that nature? Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Are we tapping into that newness? Do we identify as a new creature? Romans 6, 11 says, Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That should be our identity, our view of ourselves. Is not that the thing we declare of ourselves and our fellow saints as we profess the name of God, that we are new creatures in Christ? Why does it say reckon? Why does he use that term, that word? 
And I had to think, you know, who we really are is by faith, by grace through faith. And because of that, I believe we have to reckon the things that are not always seemingly the way they should be or what we claim, our outward lives. But I believe we are told to reckon or to count these things to be what we are in faith and proceed from that standpoint in our endeavors. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, put ourselves into it. Don't be like, don't be like the man with the ladder entering in um, just because he can get by, but he's a phony. <clears throat> what is our true credentials? Our what is the what has God decreed about our life? The past God decreed was that we who were dead in trespasses and sins, we who walked according to the course of this world, we were strangers and foreigners. But now in Christ, this all comes from Ephesians chapter 2, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are people who have now been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Fellow citizens with the saints and with the household of God, we are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Ephesians 2, 22. And then I had to think of what will we be. <clears throat> and this verse in 1 John 3, 2, it says it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. You know, we may feel a certain way because of circumstances that we face in life. I thought of Peter when they had fished all night and caught no fishes. Children's song. Jesus said, cast your net on the other side or launch out into the deep. And it so happened they caught so many fishes that two ships began to sink, not just one ship. And we think that's an interesting story. But do you ever notice what effect it had on Peter? He said to the Lord, he kneeled down at Jesus' feet and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What did the fish have to do with feeling like a sinful man? What made him identify as sinful in that situation? Maybe he needed improvement. I'm sure he did. But when we are in the presence of God and we see his miracles, it does make us feel small in this life. And God can use those experiences to help us, I believe. Last Sunday we had a, a message here by Brother Jeff Messenger, and he he brought out a, a situation in in the Book of Acts where there were these seven sons of Sceva that uh, went about and tried to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, but they ran into some problem with a certain 
a certain man or a demon that said to them, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Uh, you know, if an evil spirit would ever ask me that question, um, that, that is not a good time to be double-minded in all your ways. That is the time to have a ready answer as to who you are. Not a false identity, but a but an identity that has a sure foundation that finds its identity in the rock of ages, an identity that's marked by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And if that's the case in our life, I don't think, I don't think that demon's going to be asking who we are because I think there were, they'll already know. What matters in this life as to who we are? There was, a, there was recently, there was a, a big social thing going on where somebody got the idea, well, this, a certain uh, class of people matter. So-and-so matters. And so other people picked this up, and pretty soon it was like, well, I matter too. This matters. After a while, we all matter. And then into it descended kind of into a clamor of everybody matters until it was a meaningless thing. The Apostle Paul has said that what matters is not bond or free, is not Jew or Greek, is not male or female, is not any of these things, he said, but what matters is a new creature in Christ. And then he said, as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy upon the Israel of God. I trust and hope and pray today that you find your peace in your identity and that you can strengthen who you are in Christ before him to better, better able walk the path of life that he has for us.